The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media podcast. I don't know if I want to leave the show right now. You know, I love my job, but I, I want to grow my family and I want to have another baby. And we were so excited to get pregnant again. It became a bit of a martyr off. Like the less you did for yourself was the more of a devoted mother you would be. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not signing up for that shit. My dad, I'm sure his friends uh, sort of snickered at the idea that my mom was the breadwinner. It's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day seems easy enough to say this time every year. But the truth is, this year it comes with a whole lot of emotion. There's an ongoing international discussion surrounding a woman's right to choose what she does with her body if she becomes a mother. I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm disgusted, I'm disappointed. Why are we still defending a woman's right to choose what she does with her body? We're going to have to get into this on a future episode, and please stay tuned in the coming weeks for a guest that will help us dig into this topic appropriately. But for today, this episode celebrates a woman's right to choose. If there's anything I've learned while doing this podcast, it's that every woman has their own story, their own priorities, and their own triggers. While having a family isn't part of everyone's story, it's a beautiful part of many stories that have been told here. I admire all the women who basically have two full-time jobs, raising children while chasing their dreams. Some of the stories you're going to hear are traumatic, and some of them are uplifting. My guests often share stories about their own mothers, some of whom are no longer with us. One thing I want you to keep in mind, too, is how many former guests on this podcast didn't share their stories because they're too painful. Silent struggles are everywhere, and we need to be more aware of this. In this episode, you'll hear the voices of women whose mothers have inspired their careers, women raising children while working in media, and women who ache because they can't. I'd like to dedicate this episode to my mom, who did the unthinkable in raising me. There is no greater gift than knowing you believe in me and everything I do. Now would be an appropriate time to throw to a clip, but that's always a hard no for her. As much as I tried to incorporate her into podcasting, my radio show, or anything else, she prefers to leave this kind of stuff to me. Love you, Mom. Thank you so much if you submitted a question or comment about motherhood in the media. Let's celebrate motherhood and a woman's right to choose. Hi, Sarah. A current topic in workplaces is retention and recruitment of employees. Working moms already feel pulled in many different directions. One of the best ways to retain them as valuable employees is to offer them flexibility. Example, to be able to attend a school play at two in the afternoon for an hour with the understanding that they'll make up the time. It makes a difference for children. It helps them to flourish, helps them feel valued. And our future society is dependent on the well-being of our children. We all benefit uh, and we, we all need to share in that responsibility. Being a devoted mom and being a devoted employee don't need to be mutually exclusive. One of the most listened to episodes of this podcast features Melissa Bub Clark, the now senior vice president of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment here in Toronto. 
She's actually been promoted since she was on this podcast when she shared exactly how she's made this all work. So the part of me going to MLSE was when it was sort of decided that MLSE and Live Nation were entering into this, this sponsorship arrangement, um, I was offered the job over at MLSE to go help run it. And I actually originally turned it down because my kids at the time were two and four. And I mentioned earlier, I was super intimidated and I thought, I don't have the energy or the chutzpah right now to go and prove myself in this big environment and work 9 million hours. And I've got these two little kids. And, and uh, at the time, I, I mentioned him earlier, Dave Hopkinson, he was like, well, why don't you come and do it part-time? And I was like, no one does anything part-time in the music industry. I'm like, what? And he was like, why don't you come and do it three days a week? And you know, I did. So I said, okay. And I think probably, and I don't wanna speak for him. I don't know that either of us thought that that was going to be a long-term arrangement by any stretch or that I would still be doing this all those years later. <laughs> um, but I did it for two and a half years. I worked in the office Monday to Wednesday. I am super, no one remembers like in the ebb and flow of a career. Sometimes, you know, what I've certainly learned is they're not, they're not linear. They don't escalate the whole time. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's pivoted, it's plateaus. It took a left turn. Um, And, but those two and a half years that I was afforded the opportunity to Fridays, I volunteered in the classroom and like got to, got to, like, I, I honestly got to live both dreams and you know, I was doing it at the time for 66% of my salary because that's, you know, if you were going to work part-time, you got paid part-time. I probably in hindsight would look back and say, I didn't really work part-time. I, I had a Blackberry at the time and I would have been on call and I would have been working. And I think we've evolved a little bit from that too. But, you know, 10 years ago, that still looked pretty damn good. And I am so happy that I stuck in it. Because at the time when I was, you know, what do I want to do? And listen, again, I know there is a ton of luck and privilege in all of these decisions, but to be able to, you know, kind of still do what I loved, but I wasn't climbing the corporate ladder at that point. I was just sort of maintaining what I was doing. Um, But to be able to do that for a few years and take the time that I wanted and spend a little bit more time with my kids. And then when Oliver, who is now 12, but when he entered at, at that time, junior kindergarten was half day. So then when he went into senior kindergarten, it moved into full day. And then at that time I went back and I said, okay, you know, the kids are in school full time now and I'm ready to come back full time. And they were like, here you go. And here's hundred percent of your paycheck. And wow. it was this seamless, like, okay, guys, I'm back at it. And then for a time I worked Fridays from home. Like I feel so lucky to have been afforded that flexibility. Um, and yeah, I felt nervous asking for it. I felt, I remember being in a meeting with some colleagues and they were talking about having an 8.30 meeting. And my colleague, Jordan Vader looked at me and he said, does that work for you, Mel? Because I used to do the school run. And I kind of sheepishly, but said to him like, no, it doesn't. Can we do 9.30? And he was like, yep, we can do 9.30. And that's where I think it's a real, like, when I say it takes a village, it's like, we have to be not scared to sort of ask and step up, whether you're a, um, a, you know, a parent or not, like to kind of ask of, you know, this is what is going to work for me. And then we need to be surrounded by those allies that even at the time we didn't know that that was allyship, but people that were going to say like, 
yeah, let's, let's make that happen or let's do things differently or let's accommodate this. Because yeah. especially in our industry, otherwise there's a big female brain drain. So there's two big things here that you've brought up. And the first is that I wonder how many women are listening to this conversation right now thinking, yeah, I'm ready to get back to work, but I know I don't have the capacity to do it at a hundred percent, but I yeah. really like the opportunity to do some of it and, you know, make my way in at my own pace. You know, there are so many things that happen to, um, physically to a woman's body after mm -hmm. she has children, A, so that's part of it. And yeah. B, you know, regaining your confidence, regaining your trust in your professional um, capabilities, you know, that it takes time. It's not something that happens overnight. You have the baby, you're ready to go back to work. Yeah. So I think that's so important for people to hear right now. And the second thing is, again, using your voice, asking when you need help or raising your voice to say, I, I know I have valuable input to this meeting, but that's not going to work for me at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so happy you shared that. Thank oh, you. Thanks. So it really is, I'm not sure I'm saying anything groundbreaking here. It is that whole mentality of it takes a village and I am very dependent on my village. To get to this point, uh, I had two incredible women in our life who are still in our life. Um, Esther and Cecilia, they were our in-home uh, nannies who helped us through, I didn't have two at one time, but we, Esther worked with us for a few years and then Cecilia worked with us for a few years. Yep. And um, honestly, I couldn't have done my thing at the office without them helping me do this thing at home. I was always so grateful that my kids had other people in their lives to love them and, and, and look up to them. And I know that was a really privileged position for us to be in, to, for us to be able to have them. But um there are a lot of people and a lot of, uh, there is a lot of people in my network that have helped me uh, be able to manage all of it. It kind of speaks to what you said, even from your professional life, asking for help when you need it to help you accomplish everything else going on. Sometimes you have to lean on others. So asking for help when you need it. Exactly. And, and also like sharing the responsibility and the kudos. Right. And, and I remember when the kids were really little, I would have felt sometimes, you know, I'd go to the park, and people would say things about, you know, having a nanny or someone else is raising your kid or, oh, you must not do that. And I used to be quite wounded <laughs> by it at the time. It's something I, I didn't know the term self-care until, I don't know, when, when did that become a term? But I've been so comfortable with self-care for so long. And I think I learned that from my mom, whatever it is, sleep, exercise, whatever it is. But like, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't perform you can't perform. And I, I, I did, I, I remember when I had the kids being surrounded by women who it became a bit of a martyr off. Like mm. the less you did for yourself was the more of a devoted mother you would be. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not signing up for that shit. It's almost the same badge of honor. People talk about exhausted from work and overworked. Like yeah. a lot of people wear both those things as badges. Yeah, of like honor. a busy off. Stop with the busy off. Um, but you know, when I look back, it's like, thank God for Esther and Cecilia. And um, again, they're, they're still in my life and I literally couldn't have done it without them. And I don't know why I would have pretended to have been able to do it without them otherwise, because I wouldn't have been able to. I think so many women struggle with that idea of when they get a nanny, what other women think about it. And you have a full-time job that requires a lot of you yeah. and you're putting the right people that you trust around your children to make sure that everyone's getting what they need. Yes. So. Yeah. 
all of that. Hi there. It's so cool that we can do this and connect to you in this way at the Women in Media podcast. And I just wanted to say that as a guy listening to this podcast, there's just so much that I've learned, so much insight. And it's so amazing to be able to hear just the different voices and the different outlooks on being a woman, working in the spotlight, working in the media industry, and hearing some of the challenges and the positions that uh, you have been put in. And thank you for sharing all of these stories. It's so great to listen to, quite interesting and entertaining as well, which is always important. So thank you so much for doing what you do. If someone is expecting or they are a mom, how do you put your family and your children first, but yet also balance that with a successful career in media and the spotlight that presumably you have been working at and on uh, for years and hustling long before having children? Could you speak to that concept on a healthy balance? Does that exist for mothers working in media? This is probably the most common question women in media get. And I'll throw to Ivanka Osmak of Sportsnet next. This was recorded shortly after she returned from her maternity leave. I'm going at about six at night, so right around dinner time and close to bedtime. And then I'm coming home around 2.33 in the morning. Although there was a triple overtime game a few weeks back where I got in at five. So I was like <laughs> so close to getting home when they woke up. And I just like, you know, creeped up the stairs and crawled into bed, hoping no one would, would stir. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a huge adjustment. I am very fortunate that um, I'm surrounded by wonderful people and help and support, including my husband and we, we do have a nanny. So, uh, so it takes a village is really, is really true for us. And so, so yeah, so it's, it's been an adjustment, but we're making it work. I've heard a lot of uh, women feeling guilty about choosing their career over life with their family and having kids uh, and all of that. And I imagine in your role that you had a fair bit of thinking to do uh, about how you wanted to start a family as well. So going back to even before your um, your first child, what were those early conversations like with your husband? Sarah, we weren't going to have kids. Like that was it. But that was just my choice. And he was on the same page as me. But yeah, when we got married, we were no kids zone and looked at all our other friends having having little ones and thought, good for you, not for us. And then something changed, um, I guess, around when I was 35 or so, where we just we, we started to want kids and. I think appreciated our own families. We both have two siblings and are close with our families and have, you know, weekends together or trips together, Sunday dinners. And I think we just thought we want to have that too. So our mindset changed around having children. And then I've never been the type of person that would think you can't do it all. Um, I mean, you might not be able to do it all at the same time. And of course, I didn't know what exactly meant having a child, how much work, how tired you would actually be. But why wouldn't you? Like, I, I have many friends and girlfriends, successful girlfriends in different fields of work that have kids and they make it happen. I'm sure it's stressful. And um, tiresome, but yeah, it, that wasn't, it wasn't almost a question of choosing a career or choosing a family. It was just, you just do it. Yeah. You just make it work. Yeah. And I mean, as I said earlier, uh, we have, we need support, especially with my hours and my husband's hours who works a normal job or normal hours, rather not a normal job, but hours. Um, we couldn't, yeah, we, it would be very difficult for us. I think we'd end up resenting each other if we didn't have someone to 
help out and be make it work because yeah they're they're exhausting and they're a little full-time job in itself so it's um um we needed the help and that's what we got and of course there was guilt bringing someone into the home who's getting close to my son and both my sons now and seeing how much they love her but that's a good thing i'm reminded of that that is a very good thing when they love her and she cares about them and um and so i I, I've let go of the guilt and it's just um, I'm, I'm lucky that I have a great career that I love and I get to come home to my you know wonderful family which sounds all like really Disney but yeah. <laughs> so my question for women in media mothers in particular is how do you handle when you first find out uh, that you're pregnant and you know you're up for a promotion? Do you let them know? Do you hide it? Um, and uh, how did you navigate that particular situation where you are excited about your news, but you worry that possibly it could affect the future of your career? Here's my colleague, Toronto radio host, Melanie Mariani, on her journey becoming a mother in the spotlight and her experience with maternity leave. I started doing the morning show with Adam Ricard after they moved Fred, which was a whole time when during my pregnancy. Yeah, that's kind of when it all went down. <laughs> but I really climbed the corporate ladder, if you will, Sarah. Um, <laughs> yeah. To 10 years later, morning show on the edge. It I, uh, I worked my absolute butt off more than I've ever worked in my life for anything. So um, uh, when I was doing the morning show with Fred, that's when I found out that I was pregnant with Vera and we, my first, and we talked about this, how I felt. And then when I went on my mat leaves, I found out that they had moved Fred back to afternoons and that they wanted me to come back after four months. So I had had, Vera was four months old and they wanted me to come back and start a new show with a new person. Ooh. If Chorus didn't have anything to do with when you would return from that first mat leave, if it was in fact up to you, were you planning the full, the full mat leave? Only because I, you know, I often hear women saying that they want to go back earlier than the mat leave is finished. Absolutely. I wanted to go back. Uh, I had said six months. So okay. after six months, I was going to go back. I think that um, women say a lot of things. I think that we say things because we're worried that something's going to happen to us. So we leave before we have our baby saying, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll be back in four months. I'll be back in six. Months. I want to come back. I love my, my job. And really, we're thinking in our head, like, I'm a little worried to be off work for a long for my full mat leave. What are those I, things? What are those, those things that you think well, about when you're off? For me specifically, um, I, I know that I didn't want to be replaced straight up. Um, I was like, if I'm gone, um, maybe they'll realize that I uh, that they don't need me as much as I think that they do and they will bring somebody else in or maybe they will because because we had talked about how how I had felt that my brand was changing, how I had felt vulnerable. Um, maybe they will replace me with somebody that is young, that can fill that role of that, you know, young girl that's that's is that's going to concerts, that's, you know, still out there and is not tied down to having a baby. And these are things that, you know, you're thinking because it's all new and you're trying to figure out where you belong because you're making that massive switch and, and, and growth in not only, you know, your career, but your life. Yeah. Um, I also think that um, we, you know, women, when we say we're going to go on mat leave, we, 
we think that it's going to be like easy to come back, you know, after four months or six months. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, wait, this is hard. Like it's hard to have a baby. And oh, I'm bond. I want to bond with my baby. All of a sudden I feel this love I've never felt before. I don't want to rush back to work. But, you know, we've made these commitments and a lot of the time they are to men who will never, ever be able to uh, understand, you know, on the level that we would want them to, uh, what it would be like to give birth and then go back to work. You know, I'm not taking give birth. I don't want to take anything away from dads because, you know, a lot of dads, it's hard for them too. like they're it's their baby, you know, they're bonding and then they've got to go back to work. That's a whole other issue. But um, giving birth out of your body is a is definitely a different experience um, it, uh, mentally, physically, emotionally than uh th- yeah and then a, a man would have we'll say we'll, we'll keep it at that yes yeah 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 um so yeah so um after you know uh, them wanting me to come back vera would have been four months you know i just figured out how to breastfeed i was breastfeeding her we're talking a morning show sarah so i'm up at 3 30 in the morning sitting downstairs pumping out my full breasts with milk for about half an hour trying to get milk out so that i can leave to go to work so that you know brad can my husband can feed the baby while i'm away um and it was very it was very traumatizing to do that uh four months was definitely not long enough of a maternity leave this is all on me by the way i said you know i would i would come back right right um so i I had made the commitment chorus was amazing they were like we'll help you out we'll even you know help with your uh with your ride we'll help with gas payments because they knew that i was living far and um they were like we're not going to expect too much of you you can leave at the end of the show like they were great so this was on me but it still it was very very difficult (laughs) it was hard right Once you return, um, how does the conversation go about where your show is going since Fred is now in afternoons? Yes. So then um, I started doing the morning show with a friend of mine, Adam Ricard, who had been at the edge for longer than I had. So um, he's he was a legend at the edge. And I was so pumped to work with him because he uh, not just a great talent, but a great friend. So him and I started to do the show together um, in March um, and then. We did the show together for uh, two years, I believe. I think it was about a year later. We'd been doing the show for a year when I found out I was pregnant or maybe a year and a half. I found out that I was pregnant with my uh, with my second and I was excited about who I'd become and who I was. I felt more confident. Um, But at the same time, I um, I felt I still had that little bit in me that was like, I don't know if I want to leave the show right now. You know, I don't know if I want to leave. I'm, I love my job, but here I want, I, I want to grow my family and I want to have another baby. And we were so excited to get pregnant again. I'm very fortunate to get pregnant again right away. Um, so it was about um, uh, a month after I had told, announced my pregnancy, made it public that, um, that I got fired Um, I got let go. So Adam and I, our show got canceled. Um, And it was a really, really hard time. It was, uh, I I said, I I developed a lot of uh, mental health issues after that. I didn't sleep. I didn't eat a lot. I was pregnant. So um, I had to go for a lot of stress tests. I had to go to the hospital a lot. Um, It was just, it was a really, uh, it was a hard time. It was really a, a humbling experience because being, 
you know, it's it's crazy because I felt like I was honestly in a in a ten year relationship. Like I had I had built it, I had grown it. It was all I'd ever known. I spent my you know all of my twenties in this relationship, and then um and then just like that, it was like like cut like see ya, like nothing, no um, packing up your stuff after 10 years, no saying goodbye to any of the people that had been in your life every day for the past 10 years. It was just like, it was cutthroat. And that's the industry, right? That's, that's what like happen at any time sign up for when you start working in media. Um, But you know, it was especially difficult for me because because I was pregnant at the time. um, And because I had, I, I felt um, so hormonal and, um, emotional. Um, and I had already had that, that worry in my head that, that I, I wasn't sure if I should have another baby. And, and then I was like, did I make the wrong decision? And then I'm like, what am I thinking? What am I talking about? You know? Um, so it was a, yeah, it was a really, really hard time. Unfortunately, it's pretty common to worry about your position changing or being eliminated altogether when it comes to a maternity leave in the media. It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with lion's mane mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually, better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. Josie Dye is another colleague of mine and had her own difficult experience with maternity leave in Toronto radio. Um, so I grew up in, in a family where my father was the stay-at-home dad and my mom was the worker. And um, she built an empire. and that takes um, from both parties, that takes a lot of sacrifice in the time that, um, you know, I guess in the 80s and the 90s, that took a lot of sacrifice because my dad, I'm sure his friends uh, sort of snickered at the idea that my mom was the breadwinner. Um, And he was, he used to brag about it, you know, to everyone. I remember him bragging, oh, my, the, the wife makes the money know, in the way that they, they talked about women back in the day. Um, so I came from a very non-traditional family and I, I had a businesswoman as a mom who, uh, gave me so much advice and I don't think necessarily her advice is, uh, is the right advice, but she gave me advice that worked for her and she is, you know, in her mid seventies and is still running three businesses my dad is on payroll as the handyman and <laughs> he is. And it's, uh, I'm really impressed at the way I was raised because it's not the norm. It's very unusual to find a situation like my own because I saw what my mom accomplished with two children. I knew I could do it. I knew that um, I would be able to do what she did. And she did a lot with two kids at home. 
So I didn't have any reservations. I always wanted to have kids. It was just something I always wanted. And I don't, um, there are a lot of words that need to be adjusted, you know, like um, uh, a working mom, you know, you never hear about working dads. So for me, uh, I had my, my mat leave. And uh, obviously the first time I had my child, I had a really sick child. And um, I went back to work quite early because the opportunity for a morning show came up. My child was in the hospital for four months and I was back at month six to come back to the edge. Um, and I came back and I did a morning show that did not work, which we can get into later if you want. Um, <laughs> lots to talk about with that. And then the second time I went on mat leave, uh, I decided I needed a longer mat leave. I at least give myself eight months only because I was dealing with a child who I had just got a diagnosis for, I think months before I, I became pregnant with my second. And so I had a lot on my plate and I knew that this time I needed the extra time. And everyone has a different way of looking at things, right? I mean, I think that it depends on who you are and what position you're in. I think a lot of this has to do with the failed morning show that I was in initially. I kind of need to tell the story in order to tell you how I felt. But I, I was in a morning show with two other people, but one other main host. And at the time, I didn't think that that he related to our audience. I had been there for 15 years and I didn't think this morning show was going to work out. Because of that, I made an attempt to end it. Um, and I called the program director and I said, you know, I don't think I knew I was going to either sync with this morning show or I was going to get off of it. So I said, I don't think this is going to work. And um, at the time I said that I was actually in the parking lot of K-Rock in L.A. because uh, I was ready to just leave. I didn't know how else to get out of the morning show. And my boss at the time, Dave Farrow, said, come on back. I agree. We're going to fix this. And what ended up happening is that morning show broke up. Uh, from then Dave moved on and there were different bosses, but it seemed like once you have a failed morning show, it's almost like you have the scarlet A that's on you, take out the sexualization of it, but you're the one who's being ostracized for something that you did wrong, but you're still living in that building that you're in. And everyone is kind of worried about the conversation they have with you. Meanwhile, the person who initially, I, uh, and this is my perspective, um, initially, you know, didn't uh, work out on the morning show was being given opportunities. It was a really hard time. And that's when I went on mat leave. <laughs> so <laughs> I went on the second mat leave during that time after a failed morning show. Um, and I went for eight months and I came back to a one hour show on the radio. Now, Ross, um, McLeod gave me the one hour show. And I truly, truly believe that Ross thought it was the best thing for me. I think he thought it was going to be an amazing, cool gig. Like we were going to make this, put a press release out. And I think he thought this was going to be the most unbelievable thing. But for myself, it just was not what I wanted. It wasn't um, enough to wasn't fulfill. Enough. Yeah. And, and I am, if you know me, and I just don't think Ross and I knew each other very well at that time. I think he probably knows me a lot better now. But if you know me, I'm not the type of person to do a one hour show a day. I'm like, give me 12 hours of work and I'm satisfied and I'll do it really well. Give me one hour and I'll do a shit job. You know, like I need more. I need more. Um, and that was the moment I decided that I just, I can't, I can't stay and do this. And that's when Indy 
came for me. Here's a question that came in from a new mother admiring mothers in the media on social media. You're still going to have those days where you wake up and you don't want to do it. You don't want to put on the face and and the happy attitude. And um, when you have to be present because you're a person uh, in the media, that's like a, a personality. That's a lot more difficult. And, and how do you manage that? How do you manage your mental health? This one goes to Cheryl Hickey. It's funny, I, you know, on and off over the years, um, I've shared bits here and there. And I think um, through ET Canada, a lot of it is 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 made to look really perfect, right? I mean, that's it's entertainment, it's flashy, it's Hollywood, celebrity, it's all that stuff. Um, but it was stressful for me not to be the real me and and do all of that. And that was one thing. And uh, I'm starting to talk about a little bit more. I really struggled with um, uh, the whole perfect thing. That was really actually really really hard and and stressful so um especially over this last year it's just been so much easier to be honest about things especially when things are not going great um in our family it's easier if i disappear for a few days off of insta story or i'm not posting as much you can gather that maybe there's some tough stuff going on um so if i'm open and honest about that i feel less pressure you know? Earlier in your career, were the tools uh, that you might have been using for self-care, mental health, uh, different than they are now? Like you mentioned the you know, gratitude journal, it sounds like, and your morning routine. I would say it's, it's certainly gotten bigger. Um, but my mom always did that. My mom was always very glass half full. She was always teaching us that you're you're in control of your mind. What makes you decide to or not have your child be a part of your um, media presence or your social media following, um, whether you're choosing to present them and have them be part of your um, life and who you are in your social media account or choosing not to? When you were getting into the public eye more, you know, becoming the a host of ET Canada is, uh, you know, it's a well-known position. And I would say that almost everyone in Canada would know who you are. Um, in separating family life and public life and, and all of that, do you remember those like first conversations maybe with your husband uh, about how that <laughs> was going to go? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's still conversations that we have now. Um, my husband is incredibly protective of our kids and, and of me, but of our family. And, you know, I think his whole, and he, I, I'm grateful that he has this, this view. The kids have their own lives. Kevin has his own life. This is my life. I've chosen to be public and open, but I have to give grace to my kids and to Kevin. Also, um, out of safety for the kids is a big thing. Um, cause I think that's another thing people don't often talk about in the media is that, um, there are some people who aren't, uh, super kind and you have to be very, you have to be careful also. And I don't give a lot of light to that, but so that's, that's, that's a real part of this business. And for the kids, I think that having their privacy, especially when they're babies, I took lots of pictures and posted about them and that kind of thing a little bit. But now if they are getting older and they're identifiable, you'll see less and less of my son on my social um, because he's 11 and it's his life. And what was cute two years ago maybe teasable a few years from now. And I want to make sure that I protect that for him, you know? 
for sure. And my daughter too. I don't like to give much light to this, but um, there was a person who um, went after my family because they were convinced that we were going to be husband and wife and they were very fixated on me and they went after and went to my parents' house and, you know, they were subsequently arrested and put away and all that sort of thing. And I think that that for me, understanding that my personal safety had changed based on me being a public person became really scary. And I think realizing that I had now put my whole family in that situation was very hard. And then when that person got out of jail, having to live with that fear of, okay, well, what is it? Well, what's, what's that, you know? So, and then you have to go on air and pretend like nothing's happening and everything's fine and everything's good and be confident and all those things. Um, I really struggled with that for a long time and it gave me great anxiety. Um, and even, so yeah, so that was a really, really big one. That was very pivotal for me. Yeah. It's really hard to explain that piece because I don't want to give a lot of light to those behaviors. But what, what did I learn from that? That I'm, I'm fiercely protective of my family. I always have been, but uh, if you don't see their face on an Easter post or a Christmas post, um, there's a reason for me not doing that. Um, I'm proud of them and I'll show you their feet sometimes and occasionally you see their face, but I'm really, really protective and that's why. When I had my daughter, I knew I was going to be a single mom and I then very quickly knew that I was going to have to leave my radio career as an announcer. Um, and I just wonder, have you ever come to that crossroads where you have to choose your family over your career or even maybe just find a different branch of your career in order to be able to raise your family? I think Kayla Gray's story will resonate here. This is right after I asked her about making history in the NBA's first all-female broadcast team calling the Raptors game against the Nuggets in March 2021. You can't be all of the things all the time. And sometimes life happens and sometimes, you know, you have to deal with other things and you just have to deal with those other things. So all the accolades that, you know, people are throwing around, like your, your bio has uh, grown a lot over the <laughs> last year, right? I, I can sort of sense from what I've heard you say on this topic that you don't think of yourself as like this history making broadcaster and you don't think about that game being that what what are the things that you come away with something that big from thinking about how proud you are of mm -hmm. yourself uh I think that I'm a pretty cool mom <laughs> yeah yeah you are. I think Levi, like, I, I, I honestly, like the only person that whose opinion I think I'll care about in the future of what I did and what I've done is my son, um, when he can verbalize that. Um, and, and I have a tough time because sometimes I've had to like, not be around him. You know, I left, <laughs> sounds terrible, but I did leave him for a whole month, um, uh, when I was covering the amazing race Canada. Um, and our relationship was like boiled down to FaceTime and that was incredibly hard. Um, but you know, 
I had to do what I had to do. And, you know, showing my son that doing the things that you have to do, but also that you want to do as well. Um, it's important sometimes and work, working is important and finding something that you are so passionate about and you want to see through that is important. And, and uh, you know, finding your purpose and walking in that and being kind and being gracious. Like those are the examples I think that um, I'm most proud of is, uh, you know, not really the accolades. They're great. They're cool. Like they're things that like, you know, first with all women's broadcasts, like no one's ever going to be able to take that away from me. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, when I look on my career, I just see someone who tried and like really truly like bet on themselves to see it through. And they did. What's a dream conversation you're hoping to have on your show, even if it's not booked yet? Serena Williams. I think she's just such a boss. And also from a business standpoint, that's intriguing to me, but um, just her craft, the way she stays dedicated, the way that she also does not compromise as a mom when it comes to laying out the things that she needs in order for her to do both. I think that that would be a really good conversation. And we're going to say it out loud because it's going to manifest. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Let's make it happen. Around this time of year, Obviously, uh, where Mother's Day is kind of everywhere, everywhere you look. Uh, I, I personally don't have my mother with me anymore. She, I, I lost her to cancer a couple of years ago, and around this time is always painful. And being behind the scenes in media, and I think about other people that are also in the media, especially women who, you know, maybe they've, they've tried to become a mother, and this is a real hard, this is, can be a real painful time. I'm curious to find out how they deal with their pain and especially other people in the media, because especially if you're a personality, you, there's expectation for you to be on and maybe not necessarily depending on the job and depending on where you work, there's an emphasis to be happy and not necessarily be able to share how you're actually feeling. Jan Arden was recently a guest on this podcast, and she's been pretty transparent about the grief of losing her mother, a pain too many know and understand. As we know, Jan deals with grief by having a good laugh. And I tell this story a lot when I, when Insensitive was, it was a huge hit in like 94 and I was in the States, I was in LA because I was a co-share between AM America and AM in Toronto. I was a co-sign, it, it hadn't been really done before. So I happened to be in LA doing some work and I was, I had been at this big thing with CeCe Peniston and Amy Grant and all these big artists like in the nineties from AM and Anyway, I was going home and the president of the record company at the time offered to give me a lift home. And it's not what you think it was. It was nothing gross like that. We were driving and he was smoking a cigar. He was a huge man. He took up the whole backseat of the limousine. And I was staying at the uh, on, on Hollywood Boulevard somewhere. And he was dropping me off and he goes, you know, Jan, you're, you're 30 pounds away from superstar in this country. And he's puffing away in the cigarette. And, I didn't know what to say. I just sat there like, so I got into the hotel and I phoned my mom, collect, fucking collect, because there was no cell phones. It was like 1994. And she gets on the phone and she's like, I told her the story, told me I was 30 pounds away from superstardom. And, and she says, well, why didn't you tell him you didn't want to gain any more weight? And I thought, oh my God, that's the best. That's my mom. And when I hung up the phone, I thought, that's where I come from. So I think the takeaway there is if you're hurting today and missing your mom, think about the good times and honor the memories you do have. On the topic of infertility, there are people listening to this podcast who are silently struggling, and I'm certain there's someone in your family or circle of friends who could say the same. Entertainment host Terry Hart was brave enough to share her story on television 
and here on the Women in Media podcast. I'm still very grateful that I chose to do that with uh, my dear friend, Tracy Moore, who of course is the host of City Line. I was working at Rogers. Um, some people knew my story, which was I had tried to, my husband and I had tried to um, have kids for about six years. Um, I had five miscarriages. It was really awful, really, Such really. Such a journey. Yeah, whew, just a tough, tough go. Really uh, expensive in every aspect of life, financially, emotionally, physically, the most expensive thing I've ever been on uh, in every aspect of my life, expensive. Uh, it cost us a lot. Um, money, time, body, mind, soul, it cost us a lot. And, a and big, what, what even brought you to like the decision to share how much of what you well, I got frustrated. Um, I got frustrated that all the stories uh, that I was hearing of people on television talking about struggling with infertility uh, always ended up with a baby. You know, people always talk about, you know, I struggled with infertility and, you know, I, you know, infertility, this and and here's my happy ending. Yeah. Infertility is not something you struggle with. You are either infertile or you're not. You don't, you struggle to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. I struggled to get pregnant and then found out after everything that I am indeed infertile. And so I thought it was really important. Words matter and language matters. And I wanted to give other people, I knew there were other people like me who had gone through all the doctors, all the needles, all the surgeries, all, everything you can do, all the Chinese medicine, all the acupuncture, all the, you name it. I drank all the teas. I did all the, I did it all. Um, that didn't end up with a baby. And I thought that I could give a voice to that. And and, I think you did. And give a face to that. And, um, the response was extraordinary it was, I got handwritten letters sent to me um, that would break your heart. Uh, women who were in their 60s, you know, I did this years ago now. Yeah. Um, and women who were in their 60s who said, you know, this is the first time I actually saw my story on television. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is an epidemic. Uh, people are waiting longer to uh, have children to try and get pregnant. And that, you know, the number is the number women's fertility starts to decline at the age of 35 period, full stop. Nobody's lying about that. Many, many people have successful, wonderful pregnancies, pregnancies after the age of 35. I only hope that for everybody who wants it, but the truth is women's fertility starts to decline after the age of 35 quite significantly. And there are all kinds of other things that contribute to struggling to get pregnant, whether it be hormones, whether it be how many years we were all on the pill. I don't know. I'm not a medical doctor. I know that my story is what it was. And I know there are a lot of other people who also live that story. The more we talk about the hard things, the easier it gets to talk about the hard things. You know what? This also needs to be said. Big love to the stepmoms and to the moms who have adopted. But let's remember, not all women desire to have children. When you reach a certain age, everyone wants to know, when will you settle down, get married, and have children? That's the norm in society. But what happens if having children just isn't what you want? 
It's a woman's right to choose. This got me thinking about matriarchy. A matriarch is defined as a woman who is the head of a family or tribe or an elder within a family organization. While it's common to assume it's someone who actually birthed a child, we can also think about this from a female leadership perspective. Matriarchy is front and center in ancient indigenous teachings, and it plays a huge role in how Amanda Rayom and Shoshona Kish built their new record label, Ishkade Records. I think that we came to some intentionality around that matriarchal energy that we ourselves are are um, looking towards to empower the work that we do. You know, we work really closely with elders and um, these really powerful women who are teaching us, helping us along our path and sort of propping us up as we do this work. And, um, and also like really sourcing that sense of matriarchy in ourselves, you know, but I mean, we come from matriarchal lineages, you know, and that our cultures uh, as the Anishinaabe are, um, are led by women. I think it's a really powerful notion for us to contemplate what it means to, you know, bring and respect women's leadership in ways that has have not happened in our lifetimes. And it, that is not to say that there aren't women rising and that that leadership isn't evident, but I think all of the sort of footholds of power remain in the hands of the patriarchy. And in, in our culture, it's cycled through many times. We are like in the most traditional sense, a matriarchal society, but there have been times where the power went came out of balance, became undone. And it was said that the women were too powerful and there were transitions of power to men. Um, and, and then it transitioned back to the women holding that power. And it's been something that culturally is, been discussed, you know, and was part of that ultimately like balancing energy that I think our teachings like go back to centrally. So, you know, I think that there's been a really long time where it's been about the patriarchy and now there needs to be a balancing effect, you know, and it's not like down with the man so much as, I mean, I am like that sometimes, but <laughs> it's about <laughs> up with the women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like there's wisdom we need there. There's power and strength that we need there. I wanted to end this podcast on that note. Within every woman lives that power and strength, whether she chooses to become a mother or not, and whether she is able to become a mother or not. Big love to you today if you're hurting. Happy Mother's Day to those celebrating. And hell yeah to those fighting for our right to choose. Thanks for listening. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.